Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Hey y'all, I'm Stacy Toth of Real Everything, and normally this is where I'd welcome you to the Whole View podcast. But this week, I am welcoming you to a bonus episode of our first Patreon highlight show. Often, the conversations we have there are even better because of the intimacy and relaxed environment, and I hate that you might be missing some of these if you're not subscribed to patreon.com slash the whole view. So without further ado, here are some fun nuggets from episodes 99 to 110 of Patreon, or essentially during the fall. Really, as the mom of... So for my Patreon listeners, I'm not going to put this out in the main world, but... And also for you, Molly. So my biological children are all males who identify as males. They just really all smell bad and are very teenage boy, like just through and through. (laughs) And when our foster kiddo came to us, and I have never been around teenage girls because that's other than being one myself right and that was a hot minute or two ago and it has been such an interesting journey for me not just from the perspective of having a biological female in the home which is an entirely new world <laughs> like the we cycle together and all that kind of stuff but also watching their journey with trusting who they are like that self-trust and getting to the root of some of their stuff and seeing how the world betrays Mm. women and how as they have gone they've progressed through puberty with us how that's manifested and how they think about themselves and things their friends have said to them or things that they've seen on the internet or whatever that we talk about that I'm just like the world is a terrible place it's just (laughs) terrible and I think about also how like our mother's mothers so my mom's mom was a pageant queen and when I was born she told my mom that she would get me a nose job when I turned Mm. 16 and I recognize that throughout generations it hasn't been that long ago that women found their worth in marriage that literally women were told that what we were good for is being attractive and making children and being someone's wife like we were considered property we didn't have our own bank accounts like it wasn't that long ago and part of me is okay if I step back and try to take a bigger picture like progress is being made and even just in the last few years I think the pandemic and diet culture and anti-diet body positivity, body peace, self-compassion, like all these terms have become conversation pieces that people understand. At the same time, the internet, while it has expanded some of these things, has also brought to light some of these really toxic things that generationally we all learned and heard and believed about ourselves for so long that we really weren't open to it. (laughs) What's funny is like, it was a TikToker who taught me that I didn't need to be weighed at the doctors. Like a teenage girl, like posted on TikTok. Nope. No, thanks. And I was just like, what? I could have been, I could have been doing that my whole life. I could have just said no, thanks. And it's amazing how the internet can have both that positive and that negative impact. I think. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that also when I think about the privilege that we have as people who are 
straight passing white women who are able to go into a doctor's office and say no. And to know that if I were a fat black queer person and I went to a doctor's office today and I declined to be weighed, that might not go over the same way. (laughs) And how the internet and being able to look at the intersectionality of people's different identities. And like you were saying about your foster child, like we're able now to see these things on such a broader scope and to be able to say and understand and look at people's lived experience in a way that we never have before, because it's out there on the internet, right? Like we're able to see it in real time. We're able to witness people and also be witnessed, which I think is so important and really helps with that healing. And like you said about community, the idea that being in community is what helped propel you forward on such a beautiful path. And I think the internet, yes, while there are those dark holes on the internet where we don't want to go, there are also these places that are being built to shed light on people's lived experience and have those more nuanced and complex discussions that can create change in small and big ways. I think it's a really beautiful thing if it's used for good. I don't have experience at any other kids camp, so I'm sure that there are other kids camps out there where the children are under supervised and the camp counselor is not sufficiently trained. I try to liken it to some other sort of like self-help camp though, right? Because that's what a weight loss camp would be, a self-improvement camp. And at any other self-improvement camp, you would have or expect to see professionals of that type of help. At least somebody who is trained to know what to do. Right, or to be someone that camp counselors could have gone to and raised issues of concern with. Hey, I'm seeing this or I'm hearing that. Let's have the professional talk to this kid and bring their parents into the loop and talk about how the problem is a lot bigger than their body, right? The problem is not someone's weight. The problem is all these other things that were happening. And I think it's interesting to me because the first time I talked to Kelsey, there was so much that came up for me. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about And just being like, wow. And I remember her saying to me, and what do you do now? And (laughs) I was like, I wrote diet cookbooks for a while until I realized was toxic and I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. And so now I focus on non-toxic living, both physically and emotionally. And I sell beauty products as a fat woman. And it just came out of my mouth like, oh, I think this was like intentional on my part. I didn't realize that this is my anti-control type eight behavior of, oh, you're going to tell me for a lifetime that I'm not attractive, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'll show you I am. So there's just like a lot that came up for me about the whole process that I hope was shared. The hardest part for me is knowing, and this is really hard to like say, but I could have millions of people listen to that podcast and I would be happy to be vulnerable and to share and be open and want people to learn from that. The hardest part for me was for sure the idea that there are people close in my life yeah. who will hear that. My parents. The, the fact that your your parents 
sent you there and encouraged the diet and were focused on your body and that that contributed to the mentality you were having at the time that led to low self-esteem and all that and then to send you to a camp that essentially put the magnifying glass on all of that yeah and i meant sincerely what i said which is that I truly believe that my parents thought that they were helping me. I know. I've met your parents, and I agree. That's definitely where they would have been coming from. But this is the early 90s. No one knows. Like, the idea that... Yeah, it's like the height of diet culture. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing for me is I did have kind of brief conversations with both of my parents about what they remembered about the camp and trying to set my mind. And I didn't, I couldn't adequately warn them. I just couldn't. I think I mentioned a couple of things like, oh, I thought, or do you remember this? Yeah. And clearly it was like in the past for them. And so I hope that it can stay in the past. I've moved past it. I've worked through therapeutically like all these different things and gone to therapy with my mom. I don't harbor the ill will or have a lot of feelings that I definitely had when I was younger about these things. And I realized too, I think the hardest thing, I wonder if this came across, honestly, it was like so deep. I don't even remember everything where my emotions were at the time, but I think the deepest thing is certainly like breaking that cycle because both of my parents dieted and in one way or another struggle with their weight and I think the perpetuation of diet culture comes from this idea that we as parents are failures if our children are overweight Sarah (laughs) how you been I think the honest answer is I'm doing it's been a lot Cat had a UTI, dog stuck her face in a nest of something, and then scratched holes in both of her cheeks because idiot. So the dog got to go to the vet like every couple of days for a few weeks while we tried different things to get her to stop scratching. It's just been a lot. It's been so much. It's been so much. But I just, I feel, just keep swimming is my mantra. Dory and I, we are kindred spirits. But I, I, as much as I've As much as it's been so much, I feel like at no other time in my life could I have navigated all of that so much overlapping. I talked to someone, they just got a a kid, and they called me and said, what should we do? He said, they said, he has bad eating habits, like he eats junk, and I'm like, what? It wasn't like, in my head, I was like, oh, here we go. So I had to explain to them, like, hey, junk food isn't a bad thing. Think about All your life, you've eaten junk food. It's your comfort food. It's what makes you remember about your mom. It's about what brings all the good memories with your family that you don't have anymore. I said, think about that food. It's not junk food. To that kid, it's more than what you think. And I had them crying on the other side. They're like, Peter, I wish I knew that about a month ago. Like, I had no idea I had to view food in that sense. And But to me, it was that moment where, like, food, come on. Yeah. There's more to worry about. But also to educate them, like, hey, think where they come from. We have to not take that away from them, you know? Comfort is what the food, that junk food is what reminds of his mom and the good time. So, Taking that away, you're saying everything about his background is bad. Yeah. And, and to me, those are like the moments where you're like, okay. And I said, it's my phone number. Can you call me anytime when you don't understand <laughs> anything? Else? In the future, before we shame the children. Yeah. No, I... Yeah. 
I am so glad you said that because that is something that I've been trying to talk more openly about as well. And I think all the children, all of the children that we've had in our home have come from environments where the way that we eat is very different, right? Like we try to have a home cooked meal every day and we eat together as a family at the table and we eat foods that most children have not had before. We have a variety of fruits and vegetables that could be very scary for a lot of children, right? You don't know what it is, or I don't think I'm going to like that, or different kinds of things. And our approach has been, instead of pushing that, to say, what vegetables do you like? Because I want to make sure that we have something on the table every single day that a child does feel comfort and safety in seeing so that they can nourish themselves and not feel like they have to make a choice between going hungry or kind of being vulnerable in a meal and mealtime in and of itself, right? Like we, we have a child who has had trauma around different kinds of things and that presents itself as disordered eating. And so they don't want to eat in front of other people sometimes. Like that's just, that feels overwhelming for them. So instead of enforcing, this is dinner time, you will eat at the table or else, that's not going to get me anywhere. That's just a cycle of like anger upon anger. Instead it's, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Instead it's okay. How about you sit at the table with us and you don't have to eat, but we can still have family time together. And then after everybody else is cleared and left, you can choose you can to have eat. that dinner. Yes, that right. works. And so I think that's kind of part of the, that collaborative problem solving, right? Like it's not about pushing will on someone, but in saying, okay, when a child first comes to my home and the only thing they've ever eaten because their parent either had addiction problems or mental health problems or worked or for whatever reason wasn't around, the only food that they've had is cup of noodle and cereal because they can make it themselves easily. Like I'm not going to shame them for the fact that like those foods light them up inside when they see them at the grocery store because we don't have them here. Instead, I'm like, okay, let's figure out a cereal that, you know, you feel good about and that still fits in the boundaries of I'm celiac, so I can't have gluten in the house. Like I don't want gluten in our bowl, but there's plenty of cereals that are gluten-free. Here's 10, here's 10 cereals that are gluten-free. Choose one. Or if there's a favorite peanut butter brand or chip brand of theirs, I can choose that brand for them sometimes because that gives them that comfort. And I, I just, I think like these things sound so, Simple, small. yes, so small. But, but I to remember the child, to the child, it's, it's huge. It's, oh, I remember the first time I brought home a bag of Lay's potato chips from the grocery store. I went to the, oftentimes they take them to the store with me so that they can choose and feel connected and empowered by going and. It's a very, it's funny, I don't know if you have this experience, but our foster child thinks that Costco is like a magical place because there's so much food. It's like, and, and free samples. It's like Costco's Oh, Costco. Like literally, I sometimes have to go to Costco just for tour. Like, it's not like I'm buying food there. We're just going for a little fun time. Yes, exactly. Costco's is like a special place. If you're good today, we'll go to Costco after school. <laughs> yes. And they, tell, they even tell me how to get there. We go to the vegetable because they want to feel cold in that place. And then we walk through. And they tell me when they are ready to go out. Yep. And then we go through. I mean, oh, gosh. it's You just brought all the... <laughs> Having you be willing to have this discussion will 
ultimately help so many black and brown folk, not just from the perspective of sharing and listening what they're hearing directly, but in so many allies feeling more comfortable and confident in being able to have those conversations or knowing what to do, what to say, what not to do, what not to say, and hopefully understanding how important that advocacy is and how we are all inherently participating in this hierarchy. And I use the euphemism, the ocean that we're swimming in, right? Like we can't see that we're in diet culture. We can't see that we're in white supremacy because we're literally in the ocean. It is like the air we are breathing until we are taken out of it. And then we can't breathe anymore. I love that you used, it's the super swimming in because it's such the same analogy, right? Like it's, it's there, it's around us. And until we start calling it out and seeing it and finally remove ourselves, then that's how we can like help other people to get into the boat with us. But like, they're just swimming. They don't even know they're in the ocean. They're just doing their thing. Exactly. Like you just don't know. It's okay to quote, if you're like 20, you might not get this reference, but to quote Jay-Z as he was talking about the matrix, red or green pill, you live and you learn. So if you guys don't know what the matrix is, seriously, watch the movie. Oh my gosh. Okay. But anyway, we have an aside about that. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, you might not already know this, but I think that I'm woke. And then I realize that I'm not even like a little bit woke sometimes. So the Wachowski siblings are now the Wachowski sisters. Both of them transitioned years ago and they wrote the matrix before they transitioned. And in queer culture, the matrix represents the society of gender norms and the difficulty difficulty that they were experiencing in feeling like they didn't belong in their own body, that they were having like an out-of-body experience and it didn't feel like their own. And the pills that they took represented like the transition Uh of them actually taking pills to become their gender identity that felt real and alive. And even though it was way more difficult to live that life outside of the matrix, it was like the real truth of them living. And when I like discovered this about the matrix, I was like, this is amazing. And it really, that film holds up. I watched it with kiddo to try to Mm -hmm. like explain the experience. And they really liked the movies. And then I explained that the, what I was like, and I was reading about it. Let me tell you, blah, blah, blah. I'm so into that cultural analysis stuff. So anyway, I don't know. That was just like a sidebar tangent that I felt like I needed to share with you and other people. Did you know that about the Wachowskis? I had no idea, but this is why The Matrix is one of my favorite movies of all time, though, because I noticed that immediately. Mm-hmm. Like the, and I don't know if it's just because like living here, living on the earth as a black woman or whatever, I noticed the like switch from man, male to female or like maybe the yes, who, maybe the person who knows everything is a black woman. The disrespect yes. and I got like, I saw all of that and I didn't know that they were transitioning, but the pill that makes it even better. Right. But yeah, I love that. I love that. I love them. And I think, and then yeah, I, and I think we can all have our song. I love when he says that, like in that song, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that part. Yeah. And I just feel like we can all have our own version of that. Right. Like yeah. I don't need to be a trans person or a black woman to identify with 
the analogy and the metaphor and the experience of the matrix. And I just think there's so many different areas of life that fall into that, that if we're open to learning and seeing present themselves to us. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Like whatever analogy works for you, the soup, the matrix, red or green pill, like it, it, or I remember seeing there's this lady, I don't know, she's, I think she's called wine snob or something like that on Instagram. And she was, she did a real one. So it was like, before I actually tried good wine. So it's like when, when you've had cheap champagne and then you have like really good champagne and you're like, oh, it's the same thing. You're just waking yourself up. And that's just for champagne. I'm team cheap wine. I love a good cheap wine. So I'm not, not knocking that. But I'm just saying there's different ways to think about your awakening. If you enjoyed any of these clips, I highly encourage you to head over to patreon.com slash the whole view to become part of the Patreon fam. You'll get access to our book club, bonus weekly content, and even commercial free episodes. No, you don't need yet another social platform or app. If you don't want to, the weekly post will be emailed to your inbox. The next episode will be your usual deep dive into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves on the whole view. Thanks for listening. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.